from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Alex Hoyer. In 2016, Patrick Haggerty visited us at St. Louis Public Radio. The queer country music trailblazer was behind the 1973 album Lavender Country. He was joined by local country musician Jack Grelly. They talked about their unlikely partnership and Haggerty's journey from a forgotten chapter of country music history to a touring musician facing adoring, cheering audiences once again. Last month, on October 31st, Patrick Haggerty passed away, and earlier this week, Jack Grelly returned to the St. Louis on the Air studio, where he talked to producer Danny Wisentowski. Patrick Haggerty had to wait for his moment in the country music spotlight. In 1973, just a few years after coming out as gay, he and his band, Lavender Country, recorded their self-titled album, and like its lead singer, the album was open about its themes. It would take more than 40 years for music lovers and a record label to rediscover Lavender Country and for it to be recognized as the first openly gay country album. Late last month, Patrick Haggerty passed away after suffering a stroke. He leaves behind a legacy of his music, his rebelliousness, and his refusal to fit into the straight-laced genre that ignored his work for so many decades. But it was a second country musician, St. Louis songwriter Jack Relly, who helped propel him back to the spotlight he deserved and Jack joins us now to remember Patrick Haggerty and Lavender Country now that he's gone. Jack, welcome to the show. Thanks, Danny. Glad to be here. Jack, your side of this story uh, begins in about 2016, and it's when you picked up Lavender Country at a record store for the first time. Tell us, what was your first reaction to those songs? So our friend Ryan Koenig found the record first. And at this time, both Ryan and I were traveling all the time, and Ryan would come back with huge stacks of records. And he was like, I found this gay country record. you got to hear it. And I remember we listened to it. It was probably over a couple drinks later in the evening. And it caught me off guard at first of how there's no bass to the record. It's a musical folk record. And then as the more I listened to it... um, the messages started to come out a bit more that it wasn't just of gay pride, but there was this fervor of revolution and radicalism. Yeah, and country music often so has that that feeling of yearning. And and this, he, he was yearning for a time that kind of wasn't there yet for him, it sounded like. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think talking with Patrick and learning so much about that record, it was a form of activism that it was a collective effort to make that record. Mm. And as Patrick always said, he didn't know any other type of music besides country. So when they decided to form a gay band, no matter what it was going to be, it would have been radical and confrontational. But country was what Patrick knew, and that was authentic to him. You know, Patrick Haggerty actually came on our uh, on our station in 2016, and he spoke to St. Louis Public Radio's Willis Ryder Arnold at the time. And Haggerty described the initial reaction to the album's release in 1973, and that reaction was not good. Nobody wanted to hear Lavender Country, and nobody wanted to hear about gay country anything. Straight white men in 1973, with precious few exceptions, were not ready to hear Lavender Country. 
at all. It was like door, shut, slam, go away. Now, despite those slam doors, as Patrick Haggerty just referenced, his songs did live on, and an independent label later re-released that album. And let's take a listen to one of those songs on Lavender Country. This one's called Back in the Closet Again. I'm back in the closet. That is Patrick Haggerty singing Back in the Closet again off his 1973 album, Lavender Country. Jack, listening to this, I hear classic bluegrass in the music, but the lyrics are revolution. (laughs) What what do you hear in this? I hear intersectionality. Patrick's naming all corners of the revolution at the time. He's naming the Black Panthers. He's naming the Young Lords, the militant Chicano movement. Uh, Puerto Rican movement. Um, He's mentioning the women's movement. He's mentioning the anti-war movement. He's mentioning class. He's mentioning the workers. And what that song's about is how we need intersections in a revolution for it to happen. We need all of the working class to come together. And at this time, when Patrick and the first wave of the gay liberation movement joined the anti-war movement or the women's movement, um, often weren't welcomed and were told, Nah, we're not ready for this. Like, no, you're you're gonna blow it for the rest of us. Jack, did you know Patrick's release of this album in 1973? You know, he had just come out a few years prior. Uh, this was also just a few years after Stonewall. Did did he talk to you about what his expectations were for that album at the time, and and was he disappointed? Um, I think the expectation was no matter what we do, um, people aren't gonna be ready for it. Um, Stonewall was uh, extremely impactful to Patrick and I can only imagine to the broader gay community at the time. Uh, I do know that Lavender Country lasted a few years. They played a handful of shows, played the first Pride Festival in Seattle, released a a thousand records um, independently. It was um, funded through a gay community organization in Seattle, was in underground gay men's magazines. Um, as how it was advertised, advertised. But I know that um, Patrick would say that it broke his heart of uh, it disbanding. Oh, and you know that that br- the result of that broken heart, though that album that still exists, that passed into your hands at a certain point. You you listened to it, and it, it did something to you. And you were actually able to meet Patrick in 2016 and to kind of pitch this idea. Let's go on tour. What, what was that like, uh, ma- making this offer to him? Was, was it a hard sell? <laughs> uh, 
It's kind of funny. So uh, my friend Julia Van Horn, who was also part of, uh, ended up being part of the band, she was the one that was like, oh, not only is this documentary shown in Columbia, but it says now that Patrick Haggerty is going to be there. We should go and meet him. And so we snuck into this after party, and I'm just looking for any older gentleman in a cowboy hat, potentially. And <laughs> yeah. Patrick was shorter in stature and, and walks in, and it's this tiny old gentleman in a cowboy hat all alone at a party at a packed loud bar. And I walked up to him, and I just asked, are you Patrick Haggerty? He said, I am. I said, well, my name's Jack. I came from St. Louis to meet you, and I the initial idea was just, I would love for you to come to St. Louis and play a show. And he said, oh, wow, well, I would need a band. And I said, no problem, well, whatever you want. What, do you, what are you thinking? He said, well, the only requirement's a fiddle. And I said, well, we can make that happen. And then he said, other than that, we just need a place to stay, and the rest is up to you. And once that concert got announced, all these other towns in the Midwest uh, started contacting Lavender Country and asking if the band could go there as well. Wow. And you, know, you, you mentioned that Lavender Country, the band, had existed for a few years after the album's release, but had, had it ever had a tour like this? No. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not sure where all they played. I know that just mainly around Seattle, maybe in the Bay Area, but don't quote, don't totally quote but me on that. But nowhere around, you know, St. Louis or where he got to go on this new tour you you were with never no they it was very much a a grassroots type of thing that they played more just uh smaller gay community events at the time in the 70s -hmm. back in 2016 patrick Haggerty again spoke uh to willis writer arnold about his life and his music and this is what he told him to have made lavender country 43 years ago and have it be dead as a doornail my whole adult life with with that with me knowing that I was going to die with Lavender Country being unsung, to wake up in a new world and have people like Jack run you down and say, hi, it's me, I'm Jack, I'm a straight white country musician, I want to do a show with you. Wow, you do? You do? Honest? That was country musician Patrick Haggerty speaking in 2016 about going back on tour after meeting musician Jack Relly. And, and Jack is here in our studio talking with us about the life of Patrick Haggerty. Jack, we just heard Patrick reflecting on what it was like to go back on tour. And that last word, honest, as if he was a question he might have asked you at one point of not being sure if this was really serious. Were you really interested in his music? Was he really going to get this chance? It sounded like he almost didn't believe that this this could happen this late in his life. Is that what you saw? I did. Um, and I didn't expect that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the record had been reissued. It's a pretty hip, smaller, independent label. This short documentary had been made. It was touring some film festivals. So I, I just kind of assumed people were asking him to come play and provide him opportunities. And uh, so, yeah, I had no idea that um, it would mean so much to him. And during that first tour in St. Louis, um, spending time with Patrick and his husband, JB, um, it was very clear of how much it meant to them and how special it was. 
Tell us a bit about, you know, what do you remember from that tour or, or getting to see this musician up on stage and, and feeling those those ties of history, that emotion of maybe seeing, seeing a musician doing exactly the thing that he wanted to be doing? There's two things I'd like to say. Um, <laughs> one, Patrick, especially during that tour and those first waves of shows, I mean, he would have the crowd eating out of the palm of his hands, hanging on every word, and he took full advantage and would sometimes tell stories for 15 minutes, you know, Um, things in the industry that people would be like, you don't do that, you know, got to tell the cliff notes or something. Mm -hmm. And so Patrick really every night just gave it his all, and it would exhaust him physically. I mean, he was 73 or 74 at that point. Um, and yeah, what wasn't in the best health. And so he would give it his all. And then afterwards, especially on the road, we'd go to maybe an after party that some people would invite us to. And Patrick and JB would, would hang out till four in the morning, like the best of us. And, um, it was really amazing to see that, but also Patrick and JB during that first tour, and throughout all the Lavender Country um, collaborations that I know Patrick did, he would take the intentional time to get to know each and every person. It would be these intentional one-on-ones, these heart-to-hearts, and he would just, he he had such space for that and such a natural connecting with people that it then became such a deeper thing than just the music, and um, we all became very close. Let's listen to another track off Lavender Country. That's the 1973 album from Patrick Haggerty. And this one is called Waltzing Will Trilogy. Waltzing Will was soft and sweet. The way he waltzed was too iffy. For psychiatrists to think was fitting. So they said, hey, son, we think we should sneak you a slug, a raw manhood. The state hospital's just the place to get one. Now they call him up, we're sicky. They hurt him to group therapy. They lock him up at night so he don't escape. That was Patrick Haggerty playing Waltz and Will Trilogy off the 1973 album Lavender Country. And we're remembering Patrick Haggerty with Jack Relly, a St. Louis country musician and songwriter who toured with Patrick in his first real tour and a tour that it seems like Patrick continued uh, up until his death. Um, Jack, what role did you play on these tours? What what instruments were you playing and, and how did you become part of this band? 
So we would joke that we were the St. Louis chapter of Lavender Country, and Patrick started to, um, these past six or so years, uh, pick up musicians wherever he'd go, and the show offerings were coming in all directions, and Patrick would take every single show if he could. And it was it was pretty amazing, his drive to do so. He was on a mission. And um, so, I, yeah, I played guitar in the band and, and um, helped assemble the St. Louis band. And I had the opportunity to to meet and travel with a lot of different musicians through Lavender Country. I one tour, flew down to New Orleans and met up about midway through a tour and with some musicians from the East Coast and um, some people from, from Washington where Patrick was from. Um, I got to travel with them a, a bit in the Northwest, playing Portland, Oregon, Seattle, um, around the, uh, uh, the peninsula where Patrick lived. Um, so I, I had a, a lot of really amazing opportunities and experiences getting to connect with people um, through this, this Lavender Country family. And what was the response from some of these audiences? I think, you know, folks might not imagine that country crowds typically are, are ones that, that want this kind of material or, or, you know, want, you know, their country music with revolutionary language and, and singing about straight white honky quacks who are, you know, an entire, you know, just a spirited song against conversion therapy. Just, you know, you don't see that in, in a lot of different country albums. What did these audiences give you? For the most part, uh, the audiences were head over heels in love, um, all in. Um, as Patrick said, he would play with the uh, play to the young uh, punk anarchist crowd a lot. That was um, a lot of the networks that Patrick was playing to, but also there were concerts that were um, a bit more country. Um, there's an independent scene of country music these days that uh, is much more progressive. And so most of the time when Lavender Country played in those circles, um, it, it was great and people people were ready to hear it. I think there was a few times that some people walked out here and there. Um, but for the most part, everybody that came to a Lavender Country show, I think, was pretty aware of what they were going to. And it seemed like so much of that was the, the world was ready for him. The culture was there. And, and Patrick uh, Haggerty kind of made that point himself in 2016 when he told St. Louis Public Radio in an interview that he felt like he still put out the work and it was the world that had to meet it. The lyrics are exactly the same lyrics that I wrote 45 years ago. Lavender Country has not changed the culture changed. Jack, that, that message, it, you know, it's true, but it, it must have been somewhat melancholy for him to wait so long for culture not just to acknowledge gay people and, and queer rights and the rights of people to, to get married, but to listen to music, something that is so elemental and, and something that is so American. Um, was this a happy story for him? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um... Patrick and JB as well um, loved it. And every Lavender Country show would end with Patrick singing the, the theme song, Lavender Country, or the title track, and JB would come out from behind the merch table and get everybody dancing. And it, it was always a celebration. Um, but Patrick still never lost his political edge or the mission with that. Um, that playing that Watson Will trilogy song was always kind of the climax of a concert. 
And Patrick sometimes would say, he's like, well, I wrote the first punk song before punk was punk. And he would say, this is the backbone of Lavender Country. This, this is what the politics are all about. And so Patrick was on stage. I mean, this was an anti-fascist movement. And that was what he told the crowd every night. And so um, with the culture uh, moving forward, but also us being so uncertain of where things are going politically at times as well, Patrick was very much like fascism's at our door. What are we going to do about it? And um, so each night was both a celebration, but but also um, a rallying cry. Patrick Haggerty, queer country legend, passed away on October 31st, a few weeks after suffering a stroke on a flight after playing a show. An announcement posted to his Instagram page said he spent his final days at home surrounded by his kids and his lifelong husband. Jack Grelly is a St. Louis songwriter and country musician. Jack talked with St. Louis On The Air producer Danny Wisentowski earlier this week. More reporting from the St. Louis On The Air team is available at stlonair.show, and be sure to never miss a conversation by subscribing to our podcast. You can find St. Louis On The Air on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts on the App Store. While you're there, leave us a review. It's one of the simplest ways to help new people discover the show. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.